Hi, I'm Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID, an oral history project. I started this project during Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I also wanted to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who is a Black American who sadly lost their life during the COVID-19 pandemic. I was inspired by the work of Zora Neale Hurston, author and anthropologist, to record the experiences of Black Americans in their own voices. My goal is to get my recordings into museums such as the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture, or the Schomburg, or the Library of Congress's Folklife Museum. I'll share a little bit about me and my family history, and then I'll speak to my guests. I'm a Black American. My dad was African American and Indigenous American. His ancestors were enslaved in Georgia. In fact, we still have our family's slave name, which is Kilbrew. My dad, Dr. Terrence Kilbrew, met my mom in graduate school at the New School in New York when they were both earning their master's degrees in psychology. And I'm a fourth generation teacher. So my mother is a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher on the island of Jamaica for 20 years and then in New York for 20 years. My great-grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica up until she got married. She was the daughter of an Irish woman and a black man. She stopped working after she got married because it wasn't considered respectable for a married woman to continue working in the late 1800s. And ironically, my mother began teaching long after she got married in the late 1900s. So, Without further ado, I'm excited to speak with my guest today. Uh, Justin Jericho Turner uh, from New York, live in New York. And do you uh, identify as African-American or Caribbean-American or Black? Uh, black American. And what would you like to share about your ancestry? Um, as far back as my family's been able to trace, my people are from Alabama. Um, so I know that I have a cousin who's been tracking our genealogy um, back across the pond, but as far as like here in America, Alabama. And then uh, they, they, they spread out from there. Um, some went west, um, some went Midwest, and then the rest went um, Northeast. Okay, thank you. I'm really looking forward to hearing you share about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I just ask that people generally start at the beginning of 2020 and then go through 2021 to present day. Okay. Um, when, when COVID hit, I was teaching English for City University of New York. And as any educator would tell you, it was a nightmare. Uh, just 
switching to remote learning, dealing with the challenges of some people not having the devices or not having the Wi-Fi or having to share connections or having to share devices with other people in the family. Um, it was gross. Uh. And it was so disheartening for me as an educator, knowing that, you know, it's not like CUNY's going to give them a discount. Uh. Um, not like they're going to get any of their money back. They're going to get half of the experience that other people have gotten because um, the COVID hit right smack in the middle of the spring semester. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, I was able to teach to an extent, but because we hadn't trained to be remote teachers, it was also learning on the fly, um, you know, trying to adapt in-person lessons to online study. Uh, a little bit easier in English, I think, than some other courses, but I'm a very dynamic, hands-on kind of teacher, so I had to shift a lot of my approaches. Um, so that was tough, but that wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part was definitely just the students, I felt like, did not get what they paid for. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing to be done about it. It's lost now. Um, you know, I personally lost like 40% of one class, like 60% of another class, just because they couldn't maintain their online presence enough to, uh, you know, get their attendance up. Mm-hmm. And we have to penalize students for, for lack of attendance or for lack of, I was very liberal. You know, I, these, these guys had all my information. They had my Instagram, my cell phone number, everything. Like, just stay in touch with me and we'll figure it out. Some people had real life issues to deal with during COVID as well that prevented them from reaching out. Um, so I feel like the combination of those things. Um, I was able to adjust. I've also, you know, I, I put myself in a position financially where I wasn't like, uh, I didn't have to go back to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I haven't. <laughs> nice. Since then, um, and I mean, I will go back eventually, but it'll be on my own time after I do the, the things that I'm doing independently. Congratulations! I know a lot of a lot of adjuncts kind of get trapped, <laughs> so it's it's great that you gotta. It's very rewarding, but just not financially, as everyone knows. So I'd love to hear about your artistic endeavors, your business endeavors. Like, was it in yeah. person or online? Um, during COVID, well, before COVID, I had I'd created an organization called the Metropolitan Couture Media Group. And uh, a small team of um, fashion PR professionals who were collaborating and combining their very skill sets to create products for small market brands owned by people of color. Oh, wow. Um, it's a fantastic effort. Uh, we were able to create close to three dozen uh, published editorials during that time. Wow. Um, just sort of improvising and, and 
um, you know, doing quick things while pulling the masks on and off and uh, minimizing crew. Uh, we actually, we manage a small roster of models also. And one of the things that we did is we had our lead makeup artist start to run um, small makeup tutorials for the girls to teach them how to do their own makeup. So for smaller mark for smaller shoots, they were their own makeup artists also. Um, and so that minimized the number of people on set, number of people we were exposed to. So the first, um, and I think everybody did the same thing. We didn't know it was gonna last long. And so we tried to adjust and some of the makeup artists would just, you know, they would come masked up and, and be ready to work. But then some professionals started to get sick and then the guidelines changed. And then those people were just like, we're not getting that close to other people's faces and mouths. Um, so we lost all of those people. Um, and I wonder, you know, financially, because most of those folks are gig workers, like that's a big loss over an extended period of time. Um, but we were able to adjust. Um, the, the models were able to start doing their own makeup. Um, I did a lot of, I did a lot more shooting than I wanted to <laughs> because we couldn't get photographers and we couldn't get other people to come in and do it. Um, but that also meant I ended up getting published a bunch more times. Um, I, I feel like, and I, I know that it's probably a, a, a common story. You, you've heard a lot of folks talk about this. Being forced to take a detour kind of teaches you some things about not only your own resilience, but in, in certain cases, your own creativity uh, in trying to figure out how to do things or what to do. Um, so I feel like I definitely experienced some of that, just uh, being in a position where I had to figure things out and I had nowhere to start from and no one to ask questions of. It's just like, figure it out. Um, so that was, while, while frustrating, it was rewarding. Like, uh, you know, when, when you pull something off like that, it feels very good. And we've, we've, been, we've been achieving some positive results. Congratulations. I heard a lot of that people acquired new skills. So you became a professional photographer. Yeah. 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 I also, um, of course, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know the pandemic was coming. Um, I, I raised some funds and launched a program slash project <laughs> um, called the Kwanzaa 20 Project. And we wanted to spend the entire decade of the 20s investigating why Kwanzaa is such an under-celebrated holiday in the Black community. Mm. Um, so uh, in the first year, uh, you know, it was the first year of COVID, we had a lot of plans that I had to alter. <laughs> um, and we had raised some money that I had to spend. So I had to be very creative <laughs> about how to produce thing um when it was really hard to, to get people together um in a, in a space uh during that time so um but it's uh it's it's a half documentary half uh creative expression piece where we explore people's opinions on kwanzaa and we talk about different solutions um i spoke to um some educational people, 
uh, I spoke to uh, one of the producers of Blackish, um, who, if you ask him, he's primarily responsible for um, Juneteenth because he wrote that episode. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I got some really interesting answers. Uh, you know, when speaking to people about Kwanzaa, they're, they they either grew up in a, in what I have lovingly referred to as a pro-black household, um, where, you know, there's black history being taught, but not in school. You know, it's being taught in the house and, you know, those things are being embraced. Or they have just complete and utter, like, separation and ignorance from it. Like, they have no idea what it is, why it is. They just know that sometime at the end of the year and um you know some people know that the colors are red black and green like that's that's the range so um it just felt strange to me because like you can't ask an irish person in this country you know do you know when saint patrick's day is like they know what it is right right (laughs) you know you guys don't even know in your own holidays so it it it, I, I came to certain conclusions, and the first is it's not actually a holiday, um, and that's why a lot of people don't know when it is. And it's because it was it was sold as a holiday, and it continues to be sold as a holiday, but it's not. Uh, it's supposed to be a cultural celebration, and you know the concept of holiday is very American. It means you go out and you buy things, and everybody has a day off, and you know. But that, that's not what this was supposed to be. It was actually supposed to be the opposite. Mm. Um, you know, for example, there's an entire day dedicated to cooperative economics. Like there's supposed to be an understanding that during this time of the year, we're supposed to be paying more attention to ourselves and doing things for ourselves within the community, helping each other, spending money at each other's businesses, mm-hmm. um, supporting each other's artistic endeavors, um, you know, embracing each other's faith, right? That's, that was another thing. Um, you know, within the Black American community specifically, Christianity is dominant, but it is not the only religion that exists. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the separation within the Black community is between practitioners of different religions. And, and that schism needs to, be, needs to be fixed. You know what I mean? So like there's, there's a lot of natural barriers that exist. Uh, between us as a community, there are a lot of artificial barriers that were constructed uh, by America, by America's institutions, and we got to break through all of those. And Kwanzaa is one of those opportunities where if we actually embrace it the way it was intended, it could help us to start to do that. So mm-hmm. um, that, those, those were like my, my focuses um, during the pandemic. And um, last year, tried to do a little bit more um, with the Kwanzaa 20 project, but it's very difficult to raise money, so I just stopped trying. And then <laughs> um, I did some things on my own, but they were very small. But I tried to keep the message together uh, so that this year when we pick things back up, we can do it in a, in a big way. So mm-hmm. um, we're supposedly out of the pandemic phase now, so let's see. Yeah, supposedly, right? <laughs> wow. So you were very impacted by the pandemic. It sounds like all 
facets of your work life. Wow. Yeah, fortunately, I didn't lose anyone. Um, you know, I don't like anyone in my immediate family. Um, I got COVID just uh, the uh, Omicron earlier this year. Mm -hmm. So I was able to dodge it early, but then Omicron got me. Um, yeah, same. Yeah. And you're okay now. Like you don't have like long COVID or anything. No, nah, yeah. I was sick for a day. Literally. I was fine the next day. Um, I had a slight fever. Um, and then I was fine. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's good that's to hear. <laughs> and it's good to hear that you didn't lose anyone. Thank goodness. Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that I didn't ask you about the pandemic living or anything? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I, I like to say how I know people. And You were at Amherst College when I was at Smith College, part of the five college system. So. I actually just went, I crashed the class of 2002's reunion since ours was canceled during the pandemic. Yeah. So. <laughs> they're, trying, they're trying to redo ours this year. They're combining it, I think. Um, oh, nice. So trying, trying to figure that out. Uh, I don't, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I like the Pioneer Valley when we was out there. <laughs> Yeah, it's not New York City. <laughs> yeah. No, <it> <laughs> well, thank you for your time. This is like our own little reunion. So thank you for your time, Justin. Um, and I'll be in touch. My goal is to ideally, once this is in a museum, I'd like to do a video documentary series. And so hopefully by then, some media company will be behind me and then I'll be able to professionally interview you in person. Um, but these video recordings are just going to go into a museum archive. I, my vision is to have like a production where you're interviewed in person and and on some somewhere I don't know for people in the future to hear about what it's like to be black during this time. So thank you for participating. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, enjoy your day. I know it's a work day, so thank you. Um, and I'll I'll be in touch. Thank you. Right. So good to see you, too. Good to see you. Bye, Justin. Bye. Thank you for listening to my conversation on this episode of Black America and COVID, an oral history project. If you enjoyed the episode, then please give it five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. The more five stars the podcast has, the more visible it is, the more access I have to people who would like to share their story living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. If you are a Black American and you would like to share your experience with me, then email me at soniakilabrew at gmail.com. The emails in the show notes of the podcast, or direct message me through my Instagram account, Black America and COVID, all one word, all lowercase. If you are a non-Black American and you would like to memorialize the life of a Black American sadly lost during the COVID-19 pandemic, then email me as well. This episode was written, produced, and audio engineered by me, 
Sonia Jean Kilbrew, podcast host and executive producer. Thanks for listening to my oral history project, Black America and COVID.